great minds, it's Friday, and after one week away, I just couldn't help myself. I mean, who really needs a break anyways? Before we get into today's content, you really need to check out one of my favorite daily podcasts that I listen to, well, you know, daily. Everything, everywhere. Trust me, it will help fill that DGMH-shaped hole in the rest of your week. Have you ever wondered why we call French fries French fries? Or why something is the greatest thing since sliced bread? There are answers to those questions. Everything Everywhere Daily is a podcast for curious people who want to learn more about the world around them. Every day, you'll learn something new about things you never knew you didn't know. Subjects include history, science, geography, mathematics, and culture. If you're a curious person and want to learn more about the world you live in, just subscribe to Everything Everywhere Daily wherever you cast your pod. So on this episode of Drinks with Great Minds in History, we are going to look into the unsung hero of the conquest of the Americas, the forgotten exchange man's best friend, dogs. Specifically, war dogs. Now, we're not talking about lap dogs like my adorable Morky Latte. No, we are talking about hunters, killers, the vanguard of many early conquistadors. But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. I think my voice cracked on that one a little bit, but oh well. Today is one of those twofold episodes, as I need to get the word out about a few things. First off, Drinks with Great Minds in History will be returning with its first great of season two, the Marquis de Lafayette, on January 1st, thank God it's fucking over, 2021 to commiserate in our mutual New Year's Day hangovers. But before that, I have two more episodes planned. The first is my very first round of From the Top Shelf, in which Mr. DGMH is lucky enough to sit down with historians and authors of your favorite texts to dive even deeper into our favorite DGMH topics. The first of these segments, airing next week, will be on a fun topic on the fringes of the Louis saga, the golden age of piracy. Specifically, the life and trials of Blackbeard's ally and friend, I guess you could call him a friend, Steed Bonnet. And of course, I have to invite your favorite DGMH friends back for a special Christmas holiday episode. Get ready for DGMH's favorite things. But let's get back to my favorite thing, dogs. I love beer. Hell, I live on coffee, but my favorite thing is latte. And here again, I mean my dog. So yes, this episode is a tribute to all of our furry friends who in history weren't always so friendly. So a quick explanation of the comment I made in today's introduction. In Guns, Germs, and Steel, author Jared Diamond, a geographer, puts forth several arguments about history's haves and have-nots, arguing that unsurprisingly geography was the key factor in the pace at which civilizations develop. But that's not what we care about right now. Instead, let's focus on one key piece of his work, the Spanish Conquest of the Americas. Honestly, this book poses one of the most amazingly historical questions I have ever encountered, and Diamond deserves credit for that. Paraphrasing here, he asks his readers why Atalawopa didn't ride into Madrid atop a llama and conquer all of Spain. The point, of course, is in the question, why did Spain conquer the Inca and not the other way around? But again, I digress. In the conquest, Diamond points to European technologies, guns and steel, alongside the silent killer that was disease, especially smallpox, as the key reasons for Spanish success in the conquest of Mexico and later Peru. It's not that simple, but he also really isn't wrong. 
And aside from the horse, there is one furry creature that just doesn't get enough credit in the story of the Spanish conquest. Beavers. I'm kidding, let's talk about war dogs. As far back as ancient Egypt, Greece, and Rome, war dogs, typically of the Mastiff breed, have served alongside man in combat. Attila the Hun used dogs in several of his campaigns, and they were also commonly used in Vietnam. Frederick the Great, Napoleon, and even Ulysses S. Grant used or encountered war dogs in their various campaigns. But let's move back to the conquests. During the Spanish conquest of Central and South America, as well as the Caribbean, Spanish conquistadors used war dogs to help vanquish their foes. Typically using greyhounds due to their ability to keep pace with horses, some conquistadors like Vasco Nunez de Balboa would even send packs of greyhounds to hunt Indians, even sometimes just for sport. But that guy was an ass. Being careful not to feed too much into the black legend of the Spanish conquest, while still recognizing its truth, Las Casas and others told horrific tales of man's best friend being used in not the best ways. The most common conquista dog was again the Spanish Mastiff or Matson, which was most commonly bred for war in the 16th century. They were used in the Italian wars across Europe and the Americas and were often adored by their handlers who would name them after famous warriors of the past. Still, Spaniards in the 16th century were pretty much all assholes, and injured dogs would typically be left behind. Historians John and Jeanette Varner note, St. Martin de Porres would rescue and care for these injured dogs that asshole conquistadors often abandoned. Martin de Porres' love for animals was unmatched. He fed, healed, and tended to animals almost daily. There's even an old story that goes, quote, his monastery had grown tired of their rodent problems and decided to set some traps to kill the mice. Martin was so distressed that he spoke to the mice and cut a deal with them that if they would leave the monastery, he would feed them at the back door of the kitchen each day. And from that day forward, no mouse was ever seen in the monastery. He would often keep stray cats and dogs in his sister's house, and today he is the patron saint of social justice, racial harmony, and mixed-race people, as well as animals, barbers, and innkeepers. Yeah, so I couldn't help but dive into this guy a little deeper, and damn did it consume way too much of my time. This episode of DGMH is brought to you by Podcorn, the easy, stress-free way to start monetizing your podcast. Anyone who has started a podcast from scratch dreams of rapid growth and generating some income, but making those dreams into realities can be challenging. But not with Podcorn. Personally, I had no idea who to reach out to, who would be interested in sponsoring my show, or where to even begin. Podcorn changed all of that. Podcorn is a place where podcasters can connect with great, relevant podcast sponsorship opportunities, and you get to work directly with every sponsor. Podcasters, big and small, can browse and choose opportunities right from the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly in a way that is easy for everyone. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is there to support you every step of the way. Podcorn gives podcasters creative freedom and full control of how and when we monetize. Just click on the link in my show notes to sign up with Podcorn and start making the most of your podcasting journey. So let's raise a glass to Podcorn. Cheers! Born Juan Martín de Porres in 1579 in Lima, the viceregal capital of Peru, de Porres certainly wasn't born into greatness. Quite the opposite, actually. He was the bastard, illegitimate son of a Spanish noble, Don Juan de Porres, and a freed slave of mixed African and indigenous ancestry, Ana Velázquez. 
His mother's low-ranking status in the Spanish Costa, as well as traditional notions of matrilineal law, would have meant that Juan Martín de Pors would have little opportunity for social mobility. Things were only made worse when his father abandoned the family. Raised in poverty, he was sent to apprentice with a barber and surgeon, where he learned to cut hair and tend to wounds. But prayer seemed to be his chosen path. Spanish law, however, was against him. In 16th century Peru, people of mixed African and Indian descent, then called Zambos, were forbidden from taking holy orders, while Martin's only pathway towards the clergy was by volunteering his services as a, quote, Donato for a local monastery. However, his piety eventually allowed for his entry into the Dominican order. As a monk, Martin did all he could to help and heal his local community. Cutting hair, healing and nursing the sick, doing laundry, etc., he was truly a monk of the people. And unbelievably, his piety seemed to even overcome social injustice, as his superiors decided to ignore law and custom and allow Martin to take his vows. Despite this, many of his fellow monastics continued to look down on him. As a Dominican, Martin de Pors did all he could to help the needy, to be charitable, to serve the people, and, well, I guess, God. He was actually once reprimanded for giving his bed to a beggar, to which he supposedly replied, quote, Compassion is preferable to cleanliness. Once, during an epidemic, he refused to refuse care to his sick and dying brethren. Again defying orders, Martin cared for the sick anyways, and he was this time reproved by his direct superior. But ever the savage, Martin de Pors replied, quote, Forgive me my error, and please instruct me, for I did not know that the precept of obedience took precedence over that of charity. He was allowed to carry on with his treatments. When he died on November 3rd, 1639, word of his many miracles had spread far and wide. He was beatified in 1837 by Pope Gregory XVI and finally canonized, that is to say made a saint, on May 6, 1962 by Pope John XXIII. Popularly known as, quote, Black Christ, Depors truly was, as historian Douglas Egerton rightfully describes him, quote, the perfect inverse image of conquistador cruelty. But wait, there's more. Said to be the first lady of jazz piano, Mary Lou Williams, a master pianist, composed music for some of the greats of the jazz age, like Duke Ellington and the King of Swing, my favorite, Benny Goodman, and even taught piano to Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis. Duke Ellington himself once remarked, quote, Williams was beyond category, a pianist who sums up in herself the full essence of jazz and expresses it with skill and perception that few other jazz musicians have even approached. In case you don't know jazz or jazz history, shout out to my undergraduate professor, the late great Grover Pittman, Duke Ellington saying this about someone is a big fucking deal. In her later years, Williams had a strong conversion moment, a sort of revival of faith and she completed her first, quote, sacred jazz album in 1964 after Vatican II came to a close, at the same time when St. Martin de Pours was canonized. Her album, titled Black Christ of the Andes, was supposedly inspired by the life of St. Martin de Pours. The opening track of the album is actually titled St. Martin de Pours. Williams saw de Pours as an ideal symbol of racial harmony in the civil rights era in American history. Williams died in 1981. Well, let's move on to the drink. In honor of our probably forgotten at this point, but originally intended subject for this episode, War Dogs, tonight I am drinking a truly shitty drink from the well, Mad Dog 2020. 
God, this stuff fucking sucks. You know, the last time I drank Mad Dog, I ended up crying in a hookah lounge. But that in itself is an embarrassing long story. As much as it pains me to do this, I'm going to have to sit here and drink and rate Mad Dog 2020. In terms of taste, my God, this red grape... Oh. Wine, can you really call it that, is god-awful. In all honesty, it has to be one of the worst-tasting things I've ever had, sickeningly sweet, and really something I never want to have to drink again. But, in all fairness, I have to give it at least a 2 out of 6 for taste. Probably not the worst thing out there. In terms of returnability, well, like I said, I've only had this one other time, and I hope to never, ever, 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 ever have to have it again. So I am awarding Mad Dog 2020 Red Grape Wine one point for hopefully what is never going to be another return. On to price though, I gotta say this might be its one redeeming quality. I couldn't even find this stuff at Total Wine and I had to go to Walmart to get it and there it was only $3.64 plus tax. I gotta say that might be the cheapest stuff I've ever rated on the show. And to be fair, that gets it some points. So in terms of price, I have to give it a solid six points. It's that bad, but it's that cheap. I can't believe I'm saying this, but that brings the total of Mad Dog 2020 on the show to a whopping 9 out of 18 points, which means Mad Dog 2020 leaves with a rather impressive three crowns. Well, that's it. This one was supposed to be incredibly short, incredibly sweet, and incredibly to the point, but I fell down another massive rabbit hole and ended up talking for way more time than I initially anticipated. So I will end with a toast. Raise a glass, hopefully not, of Mad Dog 2020. I love my dog and jazz. Conquistadors are pretty much all assholes and St. Martin de Porres really was the best. And well, war dogs are all pretty badass. Cheers! Cheers! <laughs>